We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you beautiful souls and my lovely, lovely friends. Thanks for spending some time with us here today on Empower Radio. Yes, life can indeed be confusing. It can also be full of heartache and disappointments. I think how we navigate through those disappointments is what can really create character, make us stronger, and perhaps reveal to us our biggest life lessons. A teacher once explained to me the difference between the goal line and the soul line in our lives. On the goal line, we consider what we want and we go after it, and we are often met with success. However, the soul line is really why we are here as spiritual beings having a human experience. And if you want to imagine this, the goal line is like a diagonal. So as you're moving up on the goal line, you're accumulating the things you want, you're experiencing the things you want. But sometimes we find ourselves falling down onto the soul line. And the soul line is pretty uncomfortable for the most part. It's often really not fun, and it can entail disillusionment, challenges, frustration, and even anguish. However, as painful as it is on the soul line, these are the lessons we take with us when we leave this world and could possibly be the purpose of our lives. Today, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman who has survived deep disappointments and come out on the other side. Sheridan Boise is a writer, speaker, and broadcaster on faith and spirituality. His books include the award-winning Unseen Footprints, Encountering the Divine Along the Journey of Life, and the three-volume series Open House, Sheridan Boise in Conversation. Though Sheridan is a man of great faith, he experienced 10 years of tear-soaked prayers and repeated dashed hopes. He and his wife suffered through multiple failed rounds of IVF. They finally came to a heartbreaking conclusion. Their dream of having a child had to be surrendered. Confused and empty from a decade of disappointment, they left their jobs, packed their bags, and embarked on a journey in search search of restoration. Sheridan chronicles their return to life from Rome to Paris to Switzerland to their new home in Oxford. They began the healing process while wrestling with their doubts about God's goodness. His book is part spiritual memoir and part love story. Resurrection Year is an honest, heartfelt book about recovering from broken dreams and reconciling with a God who is sometimes silent, but never absent. So Sheridan, I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you here today. Oh, Tammy, what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Wow. Your book, just the title alone, kind of just makes me want to stop and consider it. Can you tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about this book and why you wrote it? (laughs) Well, it wasn't my plan to me. It really wasn't. As you mentioned there, 10 years of infertility. Uh, I was writing other books and I had plans on a number of other books. In fact, I've got got one that's about two thirds done, which was the book that I was writing before. A friend who's a British author over here named uh, Adrian Plass heard our story and he said, you should 
be writing that story. And I said, I don't know if I want to write a book about infertility. I don't know want to be known as the infertility guy. And he said, no, it's a book beyond infertility. It's a book about broken dreams. It's a book about hope. It's a book about holding faith, even though uh, you can't work out what God is doing or not doing. Uh, I think a lot of people would be helped by that, he said. And that's really how this book came about. And it's a miracle that it did really, because actually, since I left Australia to come to the UK, um, I left my platform, as they call it, and I left my, my big audience. And so UK author, uh, p- p- publishers really weren't all that interested in uh, publishing anything from Sheridan Voisey because who was he? And so it's just a, an absolute gift that uh, my US publishers have come along and, uh, and picked it up and are doing as much as they can to, to help the book, I guess, find a bit of a life out there. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and you mentioned something that I think is really important to touch on. This isn't just for people that maybe are trying to have a child. It could also um, be a wonderful um, source of solace for anyone that is dealing with any kind of disappointment, including, you know, unwanted singleness or the loss of a career, the loss of a loved one or any kind of um, broken dreams, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yep, you've got it. I mean, by the time we reach our 30s, certainly by the time we reach our 40s, most of us have a broken dream. If it's not one of the things you've just mentioned, there, you're single and you want to be married, or your career hasn't taken off, or you're a musician and people aren't downloading your songs off iTunes the way you would have liked to, it might be that we've lost somebody close to us, um, or we've, we, we haven't had that special person in our lives. So, most of us will have a broken dream by the time we reach our 30s and our 40s, and I'm hoping that this book connects in with them. Yes, yes. I, I, I love this. And um, I want to go back to the name of it, the title of it, Resurrection Year, Turning Broken Dreams into New Beginnings. And and just reading that title, I would say I've had some resurrection years myself, but I'd mm-hmm. love to hear in your words, what exactly is a resurrection year? Yeah, I would define it as a year of new life after the death of a dream. And I'd love to be able to take credit for the phrase. But again, it was that author that I mentioned, Adrian Plass. I'll give you a bit of context. Um, I had a a radio show in Australia, which was nationally syndicated and uh, loved it. In fact, it was the 10-year dream that came true. If the 10-year dream that didn't come true was us having a child... There's this other 10-year dream of this particular radio show, which there wasn't anything like it in Australia at the time, and and we were able to create it. And I had to let go of that so we could actually start again. But it was just towards the end of uh, our 10 years, as we were uh, going through our final round of IVF, we had already tried adoption. We'd done a whole year of assessment. We'd waited for two years for the phone call, which we said, you know, we'd probably be getting very, very soon. That phone call saying your child is ready to pick up, come and collect them. The phone call never came. We'd tried special diets. We'd tried chiropractic, would you believe? We tried everything, really. And uh, it was towards the end of that time. And we were we were struggling. And I had this interview with Adrian Plass, and we spoke off air. And he asked me how I was, and he's a very caring fellow, and somehow just a bit of the story tumbled out, and uh, he listened intently. And then he said, for the Christian, which I am, I'm a person of Christian faith, for the Christian, new life follows the death of something, just like Jesus' resurrection followed his crucifixion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if next year, and he was talking about 2011 then, wouldn't it be wonderful if next year was your resurrection year. And there was just something about that phrase, Tammy. I took it back to my wife, Merrin, and I said, you know, this is what Adrian said. What do you think about this? And she burst into tears, but these were tears of joy rather than tears of grief. And that's really how the whole idea began of having this new life 
just a year of just starting again after the death of the dream. Oh, I just love that so much. I'm a fan of uh, Marian Williamson, and she speaks on the principles of the Course in Miracles. And she goes, we can choose to focus on the crucifixion, but it's, it's more powerful and empowering to focus on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I, I love your, your concept, your philosophies, and, and your teachings there. I think that's amazing. So, is that when you decided to surrender the dream of having a child? Well, how did that come about? It's a good question because it happened around about that time. So, Marin and I had, after you know, 10 years, we had decided we would try IVF one more time, which actually turned out to be about three rounds, if I remember correctly. And, um, and we had already decided, we were sitting actually by the uh, Sydney Harbour River. There's a bit of an inlet that came off the Sydney Harbour just down the road from where we lived. And we, we were sitting there at a special place that we always you know, loved to go. And we were having a chat. And, and one night, Marin said, as we were sitting there, she said, if this doesn't work, we can't just keep on going on and on and on and on. We've got to draw a line somewhere. And we both agreed that this would be the final attempt at starting a family. And then she said, if this doesn't work, I need something else. And uh, I put my arm around her, you know, Sheridan to the rescue, and uh, and said, "You know, men do good men do that." (laughs) (laughs) I'm not too sure how helpful it is, but you know what I mean. And uh, I said, "You know, what what would be what would be nice for you? You know, what would be a nice consolation prize if you like?" And she said, uh, "I'd like to go overseas." And she'd only see, see Tammy. She'd only ever wanted one thing. She only ever had wanted to be a mum. And that dream, sadly, was soon going to be denied her. But this was a dream that we could make true. And I did not want to hear that because things were going exceptionally well for me in Australia. As I mentioned, the radio show, I had speaking engagements, the books that you mentioned there. Um, And so I was a little bit uh, concerned, actually, about this. But after that, and then the little word from Adrian Plass about the resurrection year, there's no way that I could hold out on my wife having this dream that could be made true. So we had made the decision probably about a month, six weeks or so before the final round of IVF proved, I was going to say unsuccessful. Actually, we had a phone call on the final embryo that was transferred and we had a phone call from the clinic and they said, it's looking good. And my wife said, what do you mean it's looking good? And they said, it's, it's looking good. Your hormone levels are right where we'd expect them to be for a pregnancy. And you can imagine the jubilation the in our family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, after 10 years, people thought, we, you know, our prayers have been answered. It's We're going to have a child. Yes, it's yes. a miracle. And then we had another phone call on Christmas Eve of 2010 saying, we are so sorry, we misunderstood. It's not mm-hmm. a pregnancy. You never had a baby. So <laughs> we had basically made the idea, I guess made the decision that we would start again if it didn't work. And uh, I guess that was a very cruel twist towards the end of the story uh, to, uh, I guess, draw the line on and bring the dream to an end. Yeah, that's not the Christmas we wanted for you guys. <laughs> it's not, not the Christmas you wanted for yourself. Yeah, you know, it's like something I believe is so true. It's like better to live our lives with preference than attachment. Because when we have that strong attachment to something, it's like God may have another plan. But I've learned to hold my dreams in my open hand. Mm-hmm. And that way it's it's not as uh, painful. But I can certainly, gosh, I can feel your heartbreak right there. It's like, that makes me so so sad on your behalf. <laughs> it's not what yeah. I wanted it to look like for you. Yeah. So yeah, I have I'm, to know, was this, was this situation, this infertility and, and all that you went through challenging on your marriage? 
we now know how infertility can actually bring that kind of pressure into a marriage. Yes. The thing that got us through is the fact that right at the beginning, in fact, here's a little story really quickly, quick one for you. Right at the beginning, we actually had this first interview with uh, an IVF counselor and the counselor in the course of things, you know, said, you know, this can actually bring a lot of stress into your marriage. And we said, yes, well, we understand about the drugs because basically when you're doing IVF, um, the woman will take drugs to stimulate egg production hormones. and then basically all the hormones and, and, and another drug basically to, to force what is essentially like a pseudo menopause. You know, it does all sorts of crazy things for a woman. Uh, and we said, well, we understand about that stress. And the counselor said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stress of making decisions, the stress of coming to one mind about whether you keep on going with another round and another round and another round or other things. She said, you know, are you aware of that? And we said, well, we are. And we've actually made this commitment. And here it is. Our marriage is more important than having a child. And so that will be our bedrock commitment that if this actually does start to come between us, well, that's only going to be a loss upon a loss, isn't it? So we would make that decision. And I tell you later on, Tammy, that really was something that got us through. And at that moment, the counselor, by the way, just slumped in her chair and she lost her objective status, you know, as, as counselors are supposed to have. And she said, oh, I'm so glad you just said that because just yesterday, a couple sat in the very chairs that you're sitting in now and right in front of her husband, a woman said to me, if this doesn't work, if we don't have a baby as a result, of IVF, this marriage is over. And I think that that is so important. Anybody listening to, to us now, if you're going through this, please, please make that, that same commitment because I've heard of too many other relationships that haven't made it through because it can be stressful. Make your marriage. Yeah, it's a roller coaster, isn't so it? So important. Yeah. 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 I, what I, the vision that comes to mind for me as you're describing your commitment to Marin is just the two of you choosing, consciously choosing to stay in the eye of the storm together. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yep. Very much. We had chosen to do that and we did stick by it. And, and there were times, Tammy, when we had to sit down on the couch for sometimes hours and, and an end to try and work out how one could help the other uh, achieve their dreams or how we could arrive at a shared um, decision. Sometimes, you know, particularly say with, with adoption, we were initially looking at overseas adoption and uh, I wanted to adopt from the Philippines and Merrin was looking at another country and, you know, we had to really keep on working through these things. And then, you know, we ended up uh, focusing on um, local adoption in Australia, which, you know, you, you always ask that what if question <laughs> if we had kept on going with overseas adoption. But, uh, you know, I believe in a, a good, loving personal God who actually has our, our lives in his hands, even if we haven't understood every moment, by the way, of the journey, we've wondered where on earth he is. Uh, we believe that there is something behind all of this. And, um, and now, I guess now, with the release of Resurrection Year in the book, and we're just, I'm getting emails literally every day from people who are not just saying that they liked the book, they're saying the book has changed their lives. And now we're starting to see that, uh, okay, there's, there's some sort of redemption to this pain. Yeah, I really hear that. And I, I just want to commend your courage for this. I would imagine it would have been challenging for you or for Marin to say, you know what, we're going to, and you mentioned that a little in the beginning, but I want to know how she was with this. It's like, we're going to go public. We're going to go, we're going to tell this story. How, how was she with that? Yeah, uh, it would never would have happened if she hadn't have been uh, on board. I can tell you right now, because um, 
I, I, she's a very private person and I didn't really want to put her through that. But that night that Adrian Plass said to me, you should be writing that book, I hardly slept the rest of the night. We were staying with uh, with him and his wife uh, up in North Yorkshire. I hardly slept the rest of the night. And I said to Marin the next day, I said, this is what Adrian reckons. We should you know, share the story. And I never thought she would be positive about it at all. And she was apprehensive, of course. But after she prayed about it and she thought it through, she realized, actually, you know what? This could actually be helpful for others. And she took a deep breath and uh, allowed me to write the first chapter and if you've read the first chapter very few people read it without tears and she read it and she brought back all the tears etc for her but she said this is good this is important and this will help people yeah and i'm so glad she did Yes, yes. And again, I just want to commend both of you for this. I think you guys just have such a powerful connection with one another with your own souls with god and i'm i'm so inspired by that. Mm-hmm. So inspired by that. Yeah. So something you've talked about, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by this, you talk about the importance of taking time to settle with God. What does that mean, and mm-hmm. how did you do that? Mm. There are a number of things that will happen if you go through a, a broken dream, and, and you bring it to an end, and I think that's actually important. So, so much mm-hmm. of our conversation when we talk about dreams is actually finding a dream, having a dream, pursuing a dream, <laughs> dreaming a dream. Um, Marin and I have learned that actually there is a time to let go of a dream uh, so that you can move on. And I think if you've come to that point, then there's a number of things that you have to work out. It'll raise big questions about the meaning of life, the meaning of your own personal life. Um, if you believe in God, is that God good? Particularly for my wife, she never, she never doubted God's existence, but she did start to doubt His goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he started to wonder whether you know God actually was was good. Why would He have said no? And why would He even right. even stay, stayed silent? Um, and uh, so we had to work through some of those things. And of course, you know, I just watched my wife go through, you know, death after death after death. And I was like, why God? Why? I mean, we had some amazing, miraculous experiences with God throughout our Christian life. And yet on this particular area, it just seemed he didn't want to say anything about it. And I think now we're working out why, but I I don't know if we'll ever have a, a clear answer to that. But what we did do is we took time out during the resurrection year on our way over here to Oxford, we actually took a, a couple of weeks out to go to a retreat center in Switzerland called Labrie, which is French for the shelter. And it was started up by um, a guy called Francis Schaefer and his wife back in the 1950s. And basically, they, they opened up their chalet to anybody who wanted to come from around the world to come and talk about faith matters, philosophy, all those kinds of things, the big questions of life. And uh, now Labrie centers are all around the world and people continue to trek up uh, to the little chalet. Uh, in the Alps, uh, in Waymo there in uh, Switzerland. And we did that. And we had some, I guess, two weeks of really solidly reading the Bible, reading books, uh, getting into some of the big questions about uh, the theological issues, about how much God is in control of the world and how much freedom we have and all these kinds of things. And we didn't walk away with nice, neatly sewn up answers to the big questions as to why there's suffering in the world when there is a good God. I mean, those are big questions. What we did walk away from, and particularly Merrin, walked away knowing that, okay, I know him and I know that he wouldn't. And I say he, of course, I believe, you know, God's beyond gender, but I believe God's a personal God. And that's why I use uh, that pronoun. But uh, we believe that, you know, he is a good God and he wouldn't have meant this for evil. 
And that was a big breakthrough, actually. That was a big breakthrough. And from that point on, it was then a case of reconciling with God. Sometimes you actually need to need to do that. And uh, I, there's still so much beauty and goodness and truth in the world, Tammy, that I, I still believe in the goodness of God, even if I don't fully understand everything that he does. Yeah, I've gotten that myself, you know, when, when things have happened, like my housekeeper was murdered, very, very, very sweet, loving soul, oh, her husband yeah. shot her in the head. And I just, <sighs> I went into shock and I kind of spun out, but I sat and I meditated about this. And that was essentially the message I got when I got really still and listened inside. I said, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. And what I got was, it will never make sense from your human perspective, but mm-hmm. there is a higher order. And Mm -hmm. we can choose to trust that higher order or not because we live on a a planet of free will and choice. And I went, okay, okay. And I just let the grief wash through me rather than getting it stuck and arguing and and resisting. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're not um, hurt. It doesn't mean you don't cry. You do. But again, it's like allowing the process of the anguish and the heartache because – there is yeah. pain and suffering on planet Earth. Nobody can deny that. But yeah. I'm with you. I, I ultimately believe that God is good, that God does love us. We are adored. Yeah. And, and, and um, I, think, I think that's so good, Tammy. And the other thing that you mentioned in there in passing was the fact that you grieved. I mean, that's so important. You actually have to have yeah. that time to grieve. Like you said, let it wash through you. Let it do its job. It has to go there. It has to actually have to, has to cleanse you. Uh, you have to go through that. And, and, and as a person of Christian faith, you know, I, I, it's given me a greater depth of understanding about Jesus' death on the cross. Here is, a, here is a situation where Jesus is pinned up onto two pieces of wood. It's not that he was suddenly miraculously whisked away by the angels before they actually put the nails in his hands, which is, I think, what we mostly want God to do. This is a redemption that happens after the pain, after the crucifixion. And of course, I believe Jesus' death and resurrection for us was uh, you know, for the forgiveness of sins, the transformation of our souls, uh, the recreation of us in his image, uh, and all sorts of things like that. It achieved so much else rather than just a little bit of uh, you know, benefit for one or two people. You know, it actually benefited the whole world, I believe. Uh, but it happened through pain. And I just, I think there's something about our therapeutic culture where we really need to rediscover that idea. We're we're so um, medicated and uh, we've got so many courses and things and they're all good. I wouldn't want to be without them. But there is something there about pain that we have kind of lost, I think. We we just, we assume that this world should be pain-free and it certainly isn't, as you said. No. And I mean, I I think, you know, I I was having an in-depth conversation with my husband at one point, you know, and and it was the same thing you were talking about. If if God is good, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much anguish? And what he came up with was, you know, God has felt those things too. Mm -hmm. You know, we couldn't feel it if God hadn't felt it. And, and, And what it does for me is just evokes this immense, profound sense of heartbreaking compassion. Mm-hmm. for for all of humanity, for myself, for Jesus, for God, you know, because it hurts to hurt. Nobody wants that. But I think when we get higher, which inevitably we will, when I, I think when we transition, we go to the next level, the next stage of our soul, soul's evolution beyond being human, beyond the physical experience, that we will get to this place of immense light and peace and joy and happiness. And it's almost like I feel like 
the darkness or the pain is a necessary component or ingredient to have this experience of being separate than God and of having free will and choice. So ultimately, there are reasons for it. There are gifts in it, even if we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd probably come at this at slightly different angles, but I think there is something to what you've said in the sense that uh, I don't think it's meant to be here, but I think that it certainly can be uh, redeemed, recycled. Recycled is a good word. You know, mm, the pain I like and that. the suffering can actually be recycled if we put it into God's hands. Yeah. And, <sighs> and, and even, and, and let me get back to Jesus. So, you know, I'm a bit of a Jesus freak, so that's why. Uh, but when, <laughs> that. when, when Jesus uh, appears to his followers after his resurrection, particularly Thomas, do you remember Thomas, the doubting one who said, unless I touch the nail marks in his hands and I put my hand in his side where the spear went, I'm not going to believe that he's actually risen from the dead. And Jesus appears to him. And what does he do? He actually shows him his scars. Now, just think about that for a second. If Jesus is who the Bible and Christian theology believes he is, actually God in the flesh, and then when he actually returns from the dead, he returns with scars. Now, that says something profound to me. It's not all wiped away. It's not all, uh, you know, covered up as if it never happened. No. Somehow, Jesus still has his scars. He will take them probably for all eternity, but they will not be the end of the story, but they will not be forgotten. There's something about it that will be redeemed, recycled in a way that will be more beautiful, is the irony, more beautiful as if it had never happened. I don't fully get my head around that, but it is pretty profound. Yeah, you just gave me goosebumps. That's such a beautiful, beautiful um, thought, beautiful notion, beautiful story. So, Sheridan, um, can you please share with us where our listeners can get a copy of your book or find you, get in touch with you, get more of you? Yeah, well, um, there's the the book is available everywhere now, which is which is great. So if you walk into your store and it's not on the shelf, it'll certainly be available on request. It's uh, available now on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble and all of those uh, retailers and all the all the regular retailers should actually have it on the stocks uh, and on the shelves anyway. Uh, if you'd like to find out more, I've got a free chapter on my blog. That's SheridanVoise.com and that's V for Victory.com. Uh, SheridanVoise.com and uh, there's also some videos there and some audio of the book and etc and i hope people find at least some some uh, insight into uh, some of those things that are there anyway and um yeah i, I hope that if uh, you get a chance to read it there'll be an opportunity to uh, to have your life changed too i'm just i'm, I'm amazed i wouldn't say that i really would not say that about my books just that every day i'm getting emails from people who are saying that that's what it's it's done for them well, clearly, this was an inspired piece of literature. This isn't something you wanted to create from your ego, but rather from, I think, a soul level. And I'm I'm inspired. This conversation with you has been really uplifting, inspiring. Thank you so much. I feel like I've experienced my own healings and revelations and epiphanies by virtue of the conversation. So thank you so, so much for your time, Sheridan. Uh, thank you, Tammy. Lovely interview. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners for hanging out with us on this beautiful, beautiful day. I hope you're feeling uplifted and blessed and inspired. And if you want to get a hold of me, I'd love to hear from you. TammyBPhD.com. You can write to me, get my guided meditation, um, questions, thoughts, ideas, guest suggestions. I'd love to connect, connect with you guys. And find me on Facebook. That'd be fun too. Take care of yourself. God bless you. Onward and upward. Bye for now. <laughs> 